series is called Courageous. It's the life and times of what guy in the Old Testament? Joshua. Boy, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. Let's go to Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible. Joshua, and we're going to pick it up at verse 15. Put your hand there and then put a marker for chapter, chapter 15 and then chapter 20. Okay? All right, with our Bibles open, now let's go to prayer. Really, Lord, every praise is to you, our God. And because of you, we give thanks. Because of you, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of you, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us to be our confidant and our friend and, and lives inside of us as our personal counselor. We are ever so grateful that you give to us uh, the very best of the best. And then you give to us a finished copy of your word. We hold it in our hands and we are in a privileged place to be able to have a, a copy of the word that is in our own language. So we, we know what you, what's on your heart because your word tells us. And then you give to us not only the Savior, but then you give to us this whole storyline that gets us to the Savior, Joshua included. And Joshua is not just the story of, of how Israel got founded, but really is the story of, of not only Israel, but of our own lives and how this is a ramp up for us to see the need for Christ and for us to know that there is a God in heaven who saves and that there is a God in heaven who really does care about us. He cared about Joshua and those people in that era, but he cares about us too. So may we see the word for what it says and take it to heart for what it means. And Lord, may we see Christ in this, I pray, the hope and the glory and our salvation, the one whom we celebrate this season. May we see Christ even 12, 13, 14, 1,500 years before he comes. May we see him all throughout your word. And may we embrace him as Savior and as Lord, as King, as CEO of our lives, we pray. In Christ's name, the church says amen. 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 Well, if you've been with us on the journey, you know the story of Joshua. Joshua grows up in slavery, gets out of Egypt. As he comes out of Egypt, goes towards the promised land that God has promised them. But the people say, no, we, we can't do this. So they end up wandering for 40 years. So by the time he gets to go into the promised land, he's already an old guy. He's already close to 80 years of age. The only two guys that survive that as leaders are Joshua and Caleb. Caleb's his number two guy. They cross the Jordan, that's a miracle. They take the first city, that's Jericho, that's another miracle. They're just miracle after miracle. Monument after monument of God's incredible power, incredible stories of his incredible power. All that happens as they settle the land, and as they settle the land, they actually begin to divide the country. It's a country where, on a map, it's, it's taller than it is wide. It's a longer country, Israel is, even today. Boundaries haven't changed all that much in uh, 3,000 years. So that, that land to the north, they, they've divided us now, and now they're conquering some to the north and some to the south. And the tribes are going to take over. And what we're going to find today in, in Joshua 15, 16, 17, 18, is that now as it begins to take over, now the tribes will take over, and now they're beginning to land this stuff and make it their own and make the cities theirs and the farms and the villages and the pasture lands their own. And I want to encourage you that, that this is a story not just about real estate, not just about taking property, not just about power and the legalities of it, but it's really about 
taking that risk, that step of faith that increases our faith, that, that step, even though you're scared, you still make the step of faith because you know what God has said. I can just imagine Joshua, each time he goes into battle, wonders, is this my last? Am I going to go down on this one? Yeah, God seems to sustain him. And you, you're, if you're in places of moments where you have to, you have to ask God for faith because you don't have it, that's a good place to be because you're asking the Lord, Lord, increase my faith because I, I don't have enough. That's what the disciples prayed. Teach us to pray, increase our faith. And I'm sure that's where Joshua was a, a good part of the time of his life. And so if you're in a place like that, you're in good company. Now, if you live the life of only comfort and you avoid moments where faith is needed, then that's, a, that's an avoidance thing. You'll live a life of comfort, but you'll never get to experience great, courageous moments of faith like like Joshua did. So my encouragement to you, even as we begin, is ask yourself, what is it about my life that I, I'm in lack? So then I'm asking God, increase my faith, increase my prayer life, teach me to pray. So I walk with you and I enjoy you because I don't want to just go to heaven comfortably. I want to go courageously. Now, as we enter this, uh, this segment of the scriptures, we enter a new narrative, really. God is not only giving them property, but he's giving them a vision for not just land and position and power and territory, but he's giving something for their hearts, something that's security-driven, something that will help them with peace of mind and being calm, and something that will give to them a place for justice to live along with mercy, which is hard to balance, isn't it? But they need that as a country, as a nation, and so they rely upon God to build the nation. Chapter 15, verse 1, reads a little bit like a real estate piece. Chapter 15, verse 1, The allotment of the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin, in the extreme south. And that means nothing to you and me, does it? And the reason is because you don't know where those places are, and you say, and furthermore, I don't care. That's because it's not your property, right? If it's your property, you'd read it. Any of you remember when you bought a house, you, you read those designated markers from the road and the spike and here north and south and east and west. You read that and you acted like you knew and you're sitting in the, the closing office and you're acting like, oh, hang on, I'm going to read this because I'm going to understand it. And they're going, oh, yeah, right. We're going to be here all day. You just don't understand it. So you read the whole thing, hoping that it's the right thing and that you're... It's all going well. I, I, I always make a habit of never signing something without reading it, which really annoys some people. But why would I put my signature on something if I'm not going to read it? It just doesn't make sense to me. So at least that I signed it, I, I read it. You know? So I read those documents, not that I understand them. Well, I, we did this a, a number of years ago. We bought a house, and then I wanted to do some improvements on the house, and I went to go get a permit for the house. I, so I, I took my drawings, and I wanted to do some stuff, and I... Also, while I'm here, I need to find out where my septic tank is. It'd be a good thing, you know? One day I'm going to want that, you know? And so I, I went down to the file cabinet, grabbed all those documents the day you bought the house, and I put them under my arm and went down to the county and said, this is what I want to do. And they said, that's great. Here's the plot. Here's my piece of property. This is my address. There's the legal description. And they said, well, we'll get our paperwork. They went back, got their paperwork. It was a different house. I said, well, we're using the legal document you gave us. It's a different house. I went home and I told Wanda, we're living in the wrong house. <laughs> we bought the house down the street. Frankly, 
that may be a better deal. It's got another bedroom and another bath, you know. Because you think you understand those documents, but you don't, really. And we don't know the tribe of Judah. We know that's the southern side of Israel, and it's going to be one of the tribes. It's going to be called the south end of Israel later. But we don't know what the clans are or who the groups of people are and extends down to Edom. We think we have an idea, but we're not sure. We know where the desert of Zin is, but we don't know if it's the front end or the back end. It doesn't read really well to us. And so these are passages that you want to skip because you don't understand them. But I'm telling you, to the people of Israel, they're very significant because what it does is it, it lines out for them their family history and their story and where they're going to land, where they're going to plant crops. And so what you see is this is where they're going to build a house and this is the pasture land, this they're going to farm, and this is going to be woods, which will be future buildings. And so they have an idea. This is very meaningful if it's yours. It's very non-meaningful if it's not yours. But in the midst of that, let me tell you what God does. He says, I'm going to go one better, and he does something that surprises them all and us all. He tells them, essentially, I'm going to give to you not just property, but I'm going to give you a place where you can feel safe and where a society can operate. I'm going to give you a place where there's justice and it's balanced out with mercy. Okay? Pull a few pages ahead to chapter 20. I'll show you what I mean. Chapter 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as, as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place for them to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders are not to surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally without malice and forethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest was serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. Stop at the end of verse 6. As the land is settled, as God's people settle in, the Lord says, verse 1, not Joshua saying, but the Lord says, I'm going to give you some cities of refuge, three here and then three in another portion, for, so a total of six cities. And these designated cities were planned out, and they were already given to Moses, and Moses has already been dead for 25 years. This, is, this predates them even being on the property. So you need to know this. God planned for the refuge, the cities of refuge, long before they even arrived. That's significant. And he says, I instructed through Moses, verse 3, so that anyone who kills a person, so if you do wrong and you need a refuge, you'll have a place to go. And you can flee there and find protection from the avenger, get that at the end of verse uh, 3, the avenger of blood. That sounds... Kind of weird, doesn't it? It sounds like, sorry, but it sounds like something that kids have from the comics or something, the Avengers. But that was the title of the guy. And what they would do is this. You have a brother that died in an accident, someone at the hands of someone else that struck them and the ax head fell off and hit your brother in the head, killed him. You would hire a guy and his title is the Avenger of Blood. You'd hire that guy and he'd chase that other guy down, kill him. 
He'd take his blood. That's what that is. That's an avenger of blood. And Israel was known for that. We call it today revenge. <laughs> that's what that's called. That's called retaliation. You hit me, I'll hit you back. Right? And when you were little and you thought someone was about to hit you, you'd hit them prior to them hitting you, right? Because they, they were thinking about hitting you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, he looked at me. I had to hit him, Mom, because he looked at me. And this is why we have world wars today, okay? So, verse 4. When they flee to these cities, they'll stand at the entrance of the gate. They'll, they'll give their case to the elders. The elders admit him, but they admit him and they call him a fugitive. In other words, he is a man on the run. He's a man on the run, and being a man on the run, this isn't his permanent home. This is where he's just hanging out until this thing gets settled. And by the way, the roads to this are cleared. The roads are clearly marked. The paths are always up, and you had to have open roads. The roads had to have the weeds cut back. If you had a road going towards the city of refuge, it was your job to give it a passageway on your property. Even though it's a, it'd, be a, it'd be a passageway on your property. And you, you had the responsibility of always clearing that, never allowing the thickets to grow up, never allowing tree limbs to come down. You had to keep it clear so a guy could just run down that path without being hindered. That was your job. That was part of the law. So this fugitive would run to the city, and that city would never be locked. It just never was. And it was held open, but at the strength of the elders of that city. And you'd run in, you'd give your case, they'd let you in, and then he'd say, we'll wait for the court. We're not going to give you up. And keep reading, then the elders admit the fugitive. If the avenger blood comes, verse 5, in pursuit, the elders don't give him up. They don't, they don't take money, they don't take a bribe, nothing. Why? Because this is a city of refuge. And... And if you find he's guilty, then we'll deal with him as guilty. But if it's unintentional, we don't want to shed the blood and then have the family be in a retaliatory kind of life. You don't want that. And so they're saying, we're going to settle this in the court. And so they had to stay in the city. This is not the best. And you could say, well, I don't want to go to the city. I get claustrophobic in a city of refuge. Either you do that or you die. It's one of those two. Okay? And if you don't do this, you're going to be on the run the rest of your life. And if you're on the run the rest of your life, you'll become paranoid because you'll always think the avenger is there. And trust me, he will be. And on top of that, you'll look guilty, even if you're not. So you're better off getting to the city of refuge, running there as quickly as you can, staying there, waiting for your trial, verse 6. And then they decide. And when the trial's settled and the priest dies, you can go back to your home. You didn't even go home and kiss you. If it's a guy in the field, you didn't even run home, kiss your wife and say, a tree fell on a guy, honey, I'm going to have to run. Got to go. You didn't even do that. You just, you just started running because you had to get there before the avenger got to you. Okay, now, understanding that, just for a moment, stop just for a little bit. If you're taking notes, jot down Romans 12 and 13 in the side column. Romans chapter 12 says this, don't live a retaliatory lifestyle. Don't mark evil for evil. Just because someone comes after you doesn't mean you can hit them back. Okay, let it go. And then it says in Romans 13, by the way, God ordains human government. By the way, and by the way, some people go, I hate human government, it's evil. Well, you, you, most things in life are because they're tainted by sin. But human government is actually ordained of God, and you're to pray for government, you're to pray for the leaders, but you're to submit to the government as well, and you're to pay the taxes that you owe. And why do you do that? Because government executes justice. 
Their job is to call right from wrong. And by the way, when you have a government that doesn't know right from wrong, then you're in trouble. Okay? So, Romans chapter 13, you're not to retaliate, that's 12. 13, you're to let government do that. And government does that, their job best when you just let them do their job, which is to execute the wrongdoer, to, to, to deal with the wrongdoer. Don't you do it, because then it's retaliatory, and then you'll get in trouble if you... If you strike back, then you'll be up for charges as well. Let the government do it. So there is a place for justice. So you have a neighbor, and your neighbor gets shot. And your neighbor is recovering in the hospital, and you say uh, to the neighbor, I'm sorry you got shot. And the neighbor says, don't worry about it. I'm just going to forgive the guy and let it go. Well, you can do that. There's one problem with that. The government's not going to let it go. Do you know why? Their job is to find whoever shot you and deal with them. That's called justice, okay? But if the guy who gets shot says, I'm going to get a gun, I'm going to shoot him back, that's called retaliation, and he's going to get in trouble too. That's why you have human government. Now, all that to say this, this is the forerunner to Romans 12 and 13. This is why you need to pray for human government. This is why you need to pray for kings and all those in authority that they live a quiet and peaceable life, Paul writes to Timothy. Because if, if we don't pray for them, it's just going to be heck and hellish kind of life. It's going to be chaotic. And so, right from the opening pages of Israel's history, nations ex- execute justice, and they don't allow for people to take revenge personally or, or, or somehow have a retaliatory lifestyle. Because once you start that, there is no end to it. And these cities of refuge... Now, give a place for this thing to settle down and calm down and for justice to prevail and for the truth to come out. Now, let's create this scenario and then you'll get, it, you'll get it crystal clear. What happens is this. They settle the land, they get to a village. There are four or five guys. They each have their own piece of property. They say, you know, we can't work on our own. We need to work together. We'll settle your farm first, then we'll go do mine, then we'll do his but while you're over here settling this other farm, because you need two or three sets of guys doing stuff, there's some tree stumps that need to be pulled in order for us to farm this land well. So you, you get a couple of oxen, and you start to dig up the trees and the stumps. You, have you ever dug a tree stump? You know, they, they can be nasty. So one comes up easily, and the next one doesn't come at all. And, um, and so they tie up the oxen, and they begin to pull this stump. And one of the guys somehow gets between the oxen and the tree stump, and then all of a sudden that tree stump lets loose and whacks the guy in the head, knocks him on the ground. You're so shocked that you yell and you smack the oxen to stop, but instead of stopping, they don't stop. They begin to back up, and you can't stop an ox from backing up, and so he tra- the oxen trample the guy, and the guy dies. And at that point now, oh my word, We're, this is horrible. And then one of the guys says, you killed him. He goes, oh, I didn't kill him. The ox killed him. Yeah, you told the ox to back up. No, I didn't tell the ox to back up. I told the ox to stop. And, and then you realize that guy's married, and he has two children, and the support of that family is gone now. And living in that same home is his wife's parents. This guy has a lot of responsibility on him, and he's gone. And they're going to be paupers. It's going to be bad. And now the guys in the circle are saying, you did that wrong, it's your fault. And what does that guy do? He takes his coat off 
because he needs to get it off as quickly as possible. And he takes off down a path to get to the closest city of refuge. And he's got to get there before they get home because if they get home, they'll put money on the table for the avenger and the avenger will take off after him. And he runs to the city of refuge and he stays there until that court case comes. That's how you get justice and mercy to balance. Okay, now, now that you know this, what I'm seeing in the text is more than just the settlement of a community and the peace of mind and the tranquility of a peaceful, orderly community. I see something else. I actually see a parallel of the cities of refuge as it relates to Christ being our refuge. And I want to give to you a number, seven of them, of the observations I'm making about the parallels. Here they are. Number one, the cities of refuge are appointed by God. They are not appointed by man. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this is not Joshua's plan, it's not Israel's plan, it's not Moses' plan. No, this is the Lord's plan. Get this, that God the Father chose the Son before the foundation of the earth. Before we ever showed up, God already had in place a city of refuge, a place of refuge, if you will, and it is a person of refuge. It is Jesus himself. Ephesians chapter 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. In other words, it was already marked out. This is not a surprise. When Jesus landed on earth to be the savior of the world, and then he lands on a cross. Some people say, oh my goodness, he's going to have to raise him from the dead. This is plan B. We didn't plan on him dying. That was not plan B to God the Father in heaven. That was all plan A stuff. You go to the library, you go to bookstores, you'll find, oh, it got out of, got out of control. And somehow Jesus lost control of the situation, ended up dying. He didn't mean to. No, that was exactly what the Father had in mind. He wanted to be the refuge for us. This is God's plan right from the go before the foundation of the earth. Number two, the cities of refuge provided safety from the avenger. You see, the avenger is like Satan himself, like a roaring lion who looks to devour, not just to chase you away, not just to hurt you or maim you, not just to entangle you. He wants to devour you. First Peter chapter 5, be alert and be a sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't misunderstand the lengths to which the evil one will go to to take you apart and take you down. He is a lion. He is hungry. It's what he does. He hunts. He goes after you. And he will consume you. And this is what I notice about people caught particularly in sin, is that once we're caught in sin and it becomes our habit, it becomes what consumes us. And that's exactly what Satan wants. We begin to schedule our day or rearrange our priorities or refix our finances so we can nurse the addiction, the sin, whatever it would be. Cities of Refuge provided a safe haven from this avenger, I'm telling you, the only safe haven that you and I have is the Savior himself. And any, anything other than that is only going to be a temporary fix to get you to the place of refuge. Number three, citizens cleared the way for the cities of refuge. This is the, that was their job. 
you had to give passageway on your property. If there was a path on your property that led towards the city, you had to keep it clear. And this is a privilege that Christians have today, is to clear the path, and how dare we put anything in the path to keep people from coming to Christ. We don't want anything to get in the way of them coming to Christ. And when we do have things that are in the way, they're usually because of our own preferences, our own selfishness, our own, our own stuff. Paul put it this way, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all, by all possible means. Why? So I could win some to Christ. This is about Christ. I'll do whatever it takes outside of sinning to get them to come to Christ. Citizens cleared the way. You're saying to yourself right now, well, yeah, you know, I would help him come to Christ, but the guy's guilty. And he needs to pay for his sins. So I'm not going to help him. And you know what the answer to that is? We're all guilty. We're all eventually somewhere along the pathway headed towards the place of refuge, if we're smart. And so if, if we are aware of our own offenses to a holy God, it's not our place to judge. Our place is just to help them get to the place of refuge. We'll let the judge be the judge. I don't have to judge them. I just need to get them there. So we have to give up our own agenda, give up our own first call, that we could give Christ first and foremost place. Citizens are to clear the way to the city of refuge, so it is that Christians have a responsibility, a huge privilege, really, to knock down all the obstacles that keep people from Christ. I, I like to think of it, if you've ever seen a marathon, or maybe you've run one, where people are alongside the road, and they actually have cups of water, and they're going, you can do this, and you're just running. And then, you know, I, I've never run a marathon, nor have I ever stood to watch one either. To me, a marathon, 26-mile marathon, like a, it's like, for me, it's a two-day event, you know, but anyway... Some of you will get that, and some of you not, but that's, it's all right. But I, I, I've heard of people who like hand them a cup at five miles and then drive you know, to mile 12, and then do it again, and drive to mile 16, do it again. But you're just cheering them on, keeping them moving. You've got signs up. You can do this. That's the way the city of refuge is, and, and that's the way we ought to be in helping people come to Christ. Do whatever we can do to help them, because that's, that's the only way... It's the only way they can find safe haven. Number four, those cities of refuge were never locked. Which is telling me that Jesus the Savior, here's the parallel, is always available. Always. He's accessible to all. Anyone could walk in. He came and he preached peace to you. To you who were far away. And to those of you who were close, he preached peace. This is very accessible. And here are the two lies that people have. One of the lies is this. One of the lies is, I can make it on my own, so I'll hold out. I can go into hiding, and I don't have to go to the city of refuge because I, I value my freedom. Okay? The problem with that is, is in hiding, you now become paranoid and totally aware not only of your own offenses, but now... You're constantly on the run, waiting for the avenger to come. You can never rest. You can never relax because the avenger is always on his way. So what happens is your guard is always up. You can never be real because you don't know who really is the avenger. The avenger could be at the table with you. Okay? That's one lie and one extreme. I want my freedom. The other lie is this. I've committed a sin that's so bad that the refuge won't take me. The Savior won't take me. That's the other lie. One's one extreme, I want my freedom. The other is there's no way he'll take me. And you know what? Both of those are false because he said, I'll always take you. 
I'm willing to take anyone who will come to me in faith. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. All of us come to repentance and faith. He will take you without asking questions. He will take you without a judgment call. He will just take you. And he knows what you've done. He knows. Oh, uh, we're up to the Christmas season, right? You started Christmas shopping? Some of you? Yeah. It's okay to admit. It's all right. I, I shop other weeks of the year, too, like you. But I, there's one particular store I like to shop in. And the reason is simple. It has the stuff I want, but what I really like about the store is the customer service. Okay? I can walk back in and go to customer service, set it down, and they just go, did you pay cash or credit? And I just hand them my debit card, and they go, oh yeah, here it is, Mr. Huffman. We'll just credit your account. I don't have to give, because I can return something, and they don't even ask. I love that. Because sometimes I'll return, I'll go, ah, it's not broken, I just bought too many. I, I thought I needed four, I only needed three of these. You know, That's okay, it doesn't matter. Or, and I've been in line with other people. This is broken, can I just go get another one? I love the policy of the store because you can return it. Because it's something that, I don't know if it's a guy thing or just a people thing, I, I don't know. But I know I don't like to go back into a store to return stuff. I would rather dig a hole and bury it in the backyard. <laughs> Anybody else with me on this? I just do not want to go, hi, I'm such a loser. I bought this and I don't really need it. It doesn't work. I don't know what to do, you know. And they say, well, how, does it not fit or what's wrong with it? And, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just, you're trying to make up stuff. You don't even know what to say, right? Anybody been there? I have no idea what I'm, you know. I was cleaning my chimney. We have a fireplace and we've hired it down and decided, I'm a, I'm a man. I can do this. Wanda says, just don't tell me when you're on the roof. Just don't tell me till it's over. So I look, and it's an eight-inch flue. This, how hard this, could this be? So I run to the store, grab the brush. I mean, get those rods, going to do this thing. Get up there. It's a 12-inch flue. From the ground, it, it looked like an eight-inch flue, but what do I know? Get up there, it's 12-inch flue. That's big enough for, like, Santa. I mean, that's big. 12-inch flue is huge. So I get down off the roof, put on decent clothes again, go back to the store, got soot on my hands, you know, and I hand it back, and they smile, <laughs> he's back, you know. I go get the, the other brush, clean out my chimney. I just love the return policy. You understand this? When you come to Jesus, the refuge, you don't have to make up any excuses. You don't have to tell him what for. Or how you, well, you know, it's not, I did this, I tried that, really worked at this, this didn't fit, I tried that. He doesn't, it's okay, it's all right. You're in a safe place, you can relax now because you're with Jesus. You're at the safe place, see. And you will never relax until you're at that point. When I was in college, um, Juan and I went to a Christian college, had the privilege of going to a Christmas, Christ, Christmas Christian college, and we had chapels there, and um, like a lot of colleges, there are married students and singles, but by and large, the campus is single. And then there's these weirdos that come on campus, married students who come on, and they're 10% of the student body. One guy gets up in chapel, and he's newly married, and he says, I just want to thank God. He starts to cry. He's a big lug of a guy, like a tackle from high school football, big guy, 250 pounds, sixth 
three or so, and just a big, big guy, going into youth work, and he's got a two-year-old daughter. He says, we've been married five years. I love this girl. And all of us are clicking our gums, kind of like, because we're single. We have no idea what he's talking about. And he tells this story about in the night, his daughter, can't breathe, can't breathe. He says, I picked her up. My wife is screaming, and she's a nurse, and she... She freaks out, and she's supposed to be the stable one because she's the nurse, you know. He picks her up, puts her in the car, and runs to the hospital, emergency room, looks down, he realizes he's in a T-shirt and the boxers. He doesn't care. He loses his dignity, runs in with his daughter. <gasps> she breathes, she can't breathe out. <clears throat> there was a pin, an award pin, that had a pin on the back of the emblem. She had put it in her mouth, gone to sleep, and it went down, and it would not go up or down. But the, the, the thing is, he lost total dignity at that moment, and he didn't care. And all the single people in the room were like, oh, yeah, oh, I would have never done that. What a, you know, what an idiot. Because we were single, and we were just, like, way too cool. And I would never use the word boxers in public. I mean... <laughs> I was above that. And so he did not care. He didn't care. And he ran in, and they, they took a picture of Don. He said, you got something there? And they went down in there with a little scope, popped that thing, sucked it right out. <gasps> She's good. She's good to go. And he finally relaxed. Why? Because he's in a safe place that could help him. In a safe place that could help him. Let me tell you this. It, this is probably t- too rich for some people's ears, but... In recovery, in addiction groups, and in recovery groups, there's a phrase, and it goes like this. You can save face, or you can save your ass, but you can't save both. Okay? Now that's probably, some of you have bleeding ears over that. Get over it. (laughs) Face is a biblical term as is that other word (laughs) found in the Bible. You can save face or you can save ass, but you're not going to save both. And if you want to save face, you go to group, addiction recovery, you can go to group and go, how you doing? Oh, fine, fine, I'm doing just great. Couldn't be better. I'm getting a buck raised at the end of the year. My wife loves me. Kids love me. Or you can lose face and save your ass. And you can say, you know what, I, um, I circled a pawn shop thinking I could sell some stuff and go back to gambling. And it scares me that I circled the pawn shop. Or um, the liquor ads on TV are just a little too much. I can't, I can't go to a sporting event anymore. I, can't get, I get nervous. I get twitchy. And I do pretty well except on weekends when I don't have enough to do. When you're that honest and you lose face, you save yourself. Let me tell you this. If your life hangs in the balance, you will shed the garments to run down the road to the city of refuge. But you won't do it until you see that's the only way to be saved. Now, Christ wants you to come to him, but you've got to want to come to him. And some of you need to come to him. You don't realize how desperate your life really is. Here's the deal. The doors are never locked when you go there. The elders keep march on that and keep order over that. 
But that's telling me this, the Savior is totally accessible all the time. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, point number four, Ephesians chapter two. Because he is so accessible, whether you're far away or close to him, you are no longer considered foreigners and strangers. When you come to Christ, you come into that city of refuge, you can, like my buddy from college, you can relax. Why? Because you're in a safe place. You are actually members of his household. Cities of refuge are never locked. So it is the refuge. Our Savior, Jesus, is always available. Number five. The cities of refuge are visible in high places. The good news is that it's only good news if it's accessible. This good news has to be out there. That's, I, it just reminds me of Matthew chapter 5, the very words of Jesus. You're a light. It's, you're on a hill. Let your light shine. Don't cover it up. Let them see. Number six, the cities of refuge were always open to people, all people. Regardless of who you are, where you came from, what you've done, so it is in Christ, when you come to Christ, we don't care who you are, we don't care where you came from, what you did, it does not matter. You have fled to take hold of the hope set before you. You have fled your own life to come to him, Hebrews chapter 6. The question is not, where did you come from, what did you do, what's your offense? No, everybody's guilty, and so the answer really is more in the form of a question, am I really running? towards the refuge. Number seven, survival apart from the cities of refuge is absolutely impossible. You'll never make it. Your only hope is to come to Christ. And again, if you've been around people who have been on the run for a long period of time, they'll tell you. It's a crazy life. It is a crazy life. They've not had a full night of sleep, they're starting to get paranoid. They're getting jumpy. They're imagining things because it's so defensive. Whereas when you come to the city of refuge, you can actually relax. You can actually find rest from war, as Joshua would put it. And the land will know rest from war, and your heart will know rest from war. So survival is critical that you come to Christ. If you, if you plan to survive this, you have to know all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by his grace. Freely by his grace. Even though the wages of sin is death, it's the gift of God that gives to us eternal life. There is no hope apart from the refuge himself. But inside the refuge, you have incredible hope. Incredible hope. Now, we're done, but I could turn the page to chapter 21 and I could show you again uh, what God does with with this organizationally. He'll actually establish 48 more cities where there are Levites there. Levites are the religious leaders. They teach the Bible. They give organization and place for counsel and encouragement. And, and that today, that same parallel is the church. So not only do you get this justice with mercy thing, but you get uh, a place not far from you because there are 48 of them in that little country. Designated cities where there's good Bible teaching, there's good theology, good understanding of God's word, good counsel, encouragement, preaching, worship, music. It's going to be close by you. And those become centers of refuge, if you will. And it's where the people of refuge can come for their own souls. And that's how a community really thrives. See? Well, 
it may be that you're here today and you've never really trusted Christ. I would encourage you, run to him now. Uh, Lose your dignity, but run to him now. Let's bow for prayer. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, your your prayer now is, for for many of us, is just, Lord, I thank you for the richness of your grace, the, the pictures of this salvation that's ours, even from hundreds of years before Jesus even came. You gave to us a model of it in Joshua. So thank you. For some of us, Lord, though, this is the day where we say, okay, I turn myself in. I run to the refuge. And that's where you are maybe right now. So you just tell God, God, I know I am a sinner. I don't deserve heaven, don't deserve forgiveness, but please forgive me. Help me to turn from my sin, but most of all, help me to trust Christ to be my Savior. He promises, he wants you to, to come to him. He promises anyone who comes, he will know, in no way cast aside or cast away. You come to him in faith, right where you're seated. Tell him in your, the heart of your own heart, just, Lord, I need the Savior. Trust him. And Father, for those coming to Christ today, Lord, we say thank you. And for the reviving of our own salvation, our own experience with the place of refuge, Lord, we say thank you for the reminder. May we revel as people which are a spiritual household of faith in this great place of refuge. May we be people of grace who hold well to the truth. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.